You're listening to the Writers at Warwick podcast. Zoe Brigley's first poetry collection, The Secret, has recently been published. In this series of readings at Warwick Arts Centre, as part of the Writers at Warwick series, Zoe explores secrets, witchcraft, and the narratives of Central America. Okay, I'm going to start with a poem, which is about Welshness, Wales, and where it's going. And it's called The Secret. Dymer wyddfa a'i crw, dymer lymdyr a moelnir tir. They said, why do you want to go to that place? There's nothing to see. And I said, but I like its name. It means snow and death. It has something to do with the colours, red and green. So, they were talking about the war, the table still uncleared in front of them. Centuries of hate divides the Seven Channel from the Welsh. Far away, dark before the shining exit gates, some place was waiting, its features unrecognisable. I was born in a place on a slope few sea that falls westwardly, like the feel of a pulse in the dark when I stay up all night. Its name, how impossible, a piece of grass on the tongue, kidneys slipped from silk, or striding the night for speckled eggs. But me your work is not the best for, nor your love the best, nor able to commend that kind of work for love's sake merely. I am a settler, east of the river, but back I have come, wintering in a dark without window, at the heart of the house. And the first pair that I'm going to read are two poems based on paintings by Magritte, who I find very inspirational. Um, I like his surrealism, and uh, I like the way he compares different objects which don't seem to have much in common, but when you interrogate them, they actually do. And the first poem that I'm going to read is called Love Song for His Mother. And it has an epigraph uh, by Octavio Paz. And uh, he's talking about Mexican women in Labyrinth of Solitude. And he says that women are an object, sometimes harmful, sometimes precious, but always different. Love Song for His Mother. He thinks of her as a series of objects like the badly fitting glove that she left on a city bench. On returning, there was only that bench and the empty green. Her language conjured long-tailed birds, and there, in the beak of the word, something bright. The, The mirror she used in the front of taxis, first to check her lipstick, then angling the thing to catch him in the back seat the lamp that blacked out with all the light in the city, and the key that he glimpsed in the bosom of her blouse, a heavy chunk of metal for box or door. Even after she was gone, he would pass her place each day, something white in a high window, not a face, but the white belly of a pigeon beating its wings against the pane in the boarded-up house. 
the second Magritte poem called Lonesome City Dweller. And um, this is a poem I often use when I'm talking about or doing workshops on drafting because it began with just a series of, um, of images uh, based on Magritte's series of paintings called The Key to Dreams. And The Key to Dreams is a bit like a child's reading primer that it has pictures with words underneath. Um, but rather than having the word that describes the picture, it has a completely different word, so it'll have a rose, a picture of a rose, and the word tomb underneath it. And so I was interested in interrogating these different objects and trying to reconcile them. Um, there's also a story in this poem about two cities. Um, and this story came from walking under a bridge uh, beside the Thames with a Polish friend of mine. And uh, she told me this story about how her mother had, had to hide under a bridge in Warsaw um, during World War II and had actually been shot at while she was under this bridge. And so it began with the objects, but it also brought in this story of two cities. And it's called Lonesome City Dweller. She is the moon, the eclipse, and the ruined city where we walk at night in these riverbank tunnels, that rose in her buttonhole, a tomb for wrestlers. On the skyline, dome swells over flat roofs, tugboats on the river and bright windows. She's the moon and the pavement and stepping shoes. The riverside cluttered with stalls selling books. That puppet show features a wooden gentleman in a bowler hat. From here, all darkness blooms. She walks with me in the emptiness of crowds while I read that stranger's smile, this woman's frown. I am the eye and the window and the outstretched palm. Earlier in the cafe, we overheard talk of her home country, more gossip of strife and death, and she stirred her long drink into a thunderstorm. Under the bridge, she is thinking of her mother, that crossing in ruins, that city pocked by gunshot. She is a dark and desert and memory, its walls invisible, its boundaries the sky. This next poem is about witchcraft. And um, it's based um, on a place in Warwickshire called Meon Hill, which uh, in folklore was supposed to be the Devil's Hill. The devil was supposed to have dropped it in the middle of Warwickshire, in fact. And I got this from a very interesting book about Warwickshire folklore, which included a number of interesting uh, superstitions and, and, and ghost stories. And one was actually the ghost of a cyclist in, in Stonely, in fact, it was. So I thought, yeah, well, interesting. But the one that interested me more was actually Meon Hill, where there was a lot of witchcraft and, and kind of a lot of superstitions about the devil, you know, the, the devil's nightcap, uh, the devil's curse. There was this big obsession with, with devilry. And so I wanted to write a poem about it. Meon Hill. Did you see a stranger with a long grey switch, his iron shovel mining for a coin or trick? I am broken ramparts, a nunnery tumbled, 
For like the ploughboy at Alveston, I see the black dog and ride by tree trunks on intricacies of leaves, the sign of the cross at my throat and ear. Where I tend the slopes and hedges, banks and cornfields near Mion, my trouncing hook juts out an extra digit. Herbs so hearty, devil's parsley, shepherd's purse, devil's curse. I am an apple, bitter of rind, I fall seedless. Yet I would be the woodsman, stripping bark to a bristling choke, or piercing vegetable matter to a white eye. At night I hear the owlish hooting hounds, the feathery sniffing of their noses, the bright clink of claws in the lane, the ploughboy's red-eyed guardian mastiff. Leaves in the lap, devil's nightcap, nightingales sing, devil's plaything. Leaves that die on the boughs sound out the sea on shingle. Here the hound hangs by its white eye, the fields dug with toads. I feel the node of every pitchfork point and lie beneath the dank brook bed, binding the devil to his own delight. Such a long lesson in learning how to wear my sex like a jewel. On me and hill the devil dropped his load by the lane that runs along the turnpike road. And the final poem that I'm going to read is from a sequence which was about uh, Mexico. And it was about the woman of Hernán Cortés, who was a conquistador, who went to conquer Central America. And she was an indigenous woman who became his translator and later his lover. And um, in the eyes of many Mexicans, she's seen as someone who actually betrayed Mexico. But actually, some feminists have been trying to recuperate her now, which is interesting. And this is from uh, a sequence about her. It's a poem called Space Time. And uh, it's also about the mythical island from which the Aztecs were supposed to originate. Space Time. Here is an island like a jewel or scarab on the flat lagoon where herons wade. They walk the circle of Main Street from town hall door to town hall gate and find that every pathway leads to the waterfront where birds wing air currents, paths of filings in iron magnetism. A buzzard of the Mexican highlands is drawn to this feeding ground of turtle, shrimp and beetle. Gods that fell headlong from the sun's ripening course to grieve with the earthbound souls of the dead and, and plague them invisibly for life and vigour, a buzz of regret eclipsing the Milky Way. I show him the stars of the southern hemisphere, here the beekeeper wooing the hives with his charms, and here a lady, obsidian butterfly, spelled with stars, throwing arrows against tidal winds. No more of the past, that which has always happened, but a remote island that jolts to life each day. Lying on the pier, I put an eye to the slats, the lagoon's quiet pulse of bird foot or paddle teaches me to hear and know a bird arced in space, a pebble thrown up 
over water in the dark. The sky will persist for a thousand years, but I will remain here young in search of the Southern Cross. very much a huge part of my work is thinking about languages and how they relate and, and how when I'm using the Welsh you know what what how that inflects the poem and also when I'm writing in English how can I translate the really complicated Welsh forms with you know the kind of special chimes and, and rhymes and and very complicated ways of writing how can I translate that into uh, English, how can I create that melody? So that's something I'm very interested in. And um, in some ways, I really like including Welsh in my poems, although I didn't do so many of those um, tonight, but I, I do do it quite a lot. And I think it's nice to have a secret in a poem. You know, the, the collection is called The Secret, and it's because it's, the way I write is, is kind of by having these little puzzles and things to work out in the poem. So if you're a Welsh language reader, you might get a little bit of something extra. And it's not necessarily something that's totally necessary to read the poem. Um, but it's something, you know, a little bit extra, an extra puzzle, an extra level uh, in the poem. And, um, you know, I like to have this kind of melody in the English as well. And, um, you know, just... To, to work that into the English. And again, that's the kind of little secret that I'm using. So I'll have a little rhyme here and there that you might not notice at first, but which is really integral to the form. So for me, it's really important. This podcast was recorded at Warwick Arts Centre, part of the University of Warwick. For more information about the Writers at Warwick programme, including future readings and events, please visit www.warwickartscentre.co.uk. The Writers at Warwick podcast was produced by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Dylan Owen. <laughs>